right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. What's up? What's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. David Lesky is going to join us at 340. We've got Lance Leipold audio to play for you. We start bowl week. For RCST trivia, including our first playoff semifinal, and it's the return of my college football playoff rankings. Didn't do them last year, but we're back at it this year. DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. It won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. It's this Thursday that is September 1st. So that's the day that you have to sign up by. So you need to sign up by the end of day, Wednesday, I guess, to get your free money. Use code KLWN and do it. And uh, I haven't seen the line officially on DraftKings, but there is a line posted in another betting site that has KU as 30 and a half point favorites. That was pretty shocking to me. Like, I understand Tennessee Tech, they're an FCS team. They only won three games in the FCS. But, like, the South Dakota line, which, again, different, South Dakota, you know, in the Missouri Valley, which is a really good FCS conference. But that was, like, a team that was coming off, like, a 6-5 and five season, something like that. And uh, he was only, like, I don't know, like 10 points, something like that. Nick, are, favorite. You, are you taking Tech plus 30.5? I My immediate reaction was that was too many points. So I guess that would tell me, yeah, which sucks because I don't want to. But then again, like if you think about it, if KU wins, I don't know, 45 to 14, you hit with KU there. Yeah. That's a lot of points to expect, though. Did you, like, okay, if I ask you right now, what's the most points that Kansas scored in a game outside of the Texas game last season? Here's a little early RCST trivia for you. So, the Texas game, they scored oh. 57. But outside of that, what's the most? I don't even know, honestly. From not looking at the schedule, I mean, mm-hmm. probably in the 30s, I would hope. It was in the 30s. It was against Duke. They scored 33 points. Okay. Okay. That was the most points they scored outside of the Texas game. So, if they are having a 30-and-a-half-point spread, they could score 38 points, which would be the most points they've scored right. outside of the Texas game, and you would only be able to give up seven points. Well, here's some trivia Do you trust you. the defense to only give Tennessee up seven points? Tennessee Tech only averaged 18 points a game last year. <laughs> yeah, they only scored great. over 28 points, I think, three times mm. last year. But if they score 14, that means you have to have Kansas score 45. They, they, they only scored over 28 twice the whole season. Again, though, like if they score 10, are you, how confident are you in the KU is going to score 40? I'm more confident in KU's offense to score than I am in their defense to stop Tennessee Tech. Actually. Well, that's not great then. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. I think KU's going to win the game. I feel very confident in that. I, I was expecting the line to be like 17 points. Um, and that, I would have taken KU. But 30, 
We'll wait and see. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KLWN to get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings.com sportsbook. Subject to regulatory licensing requirements. One per customer, $100 issued as $425 free bets. No purchase necessary for sweepstakes. Void where prohibited. Ends first day. DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas. See terms at dkng.co slash ks. Well, it is game week for KU football. You can hear the game Friday on KLWN. We're going to have a live show out of Big Mill beforehand, so you can come by, win all sorts of free stuff over there. We got a little bit of an update to the Tanaka Scott-Trevor Wilson situation. We got more today from Lance Leipold. Uh, Trevor Wilson has a court date set for tomorrow morning. He's been suspended indefinitely, and you'll hear as part of the Leipold audio, he's asked a few times like in different ways about some of the details of stuff going on. Uh, he, he just kind of sticks to what his initial comments were, and I think part of that is because the court date is tomorrow. So like that, I'm sure you're going to have more stuff that maybe comes out or is or is not punished on certain things that that's going to impact it there. But point being, Trevor Wilson is going to be suspended for a good amount of time from KU. Tanaka Scott, though, meanwhile, he uh, was released of charges and or I guess was given no charges is the better way of putting that. Um so Leipold announced that he's going to be suspended for this first game. I would imagine he'll be back shortly. He, I don't think he clarified if it would only be this first game or if it's, yeah. you know. Well, he, he was already back at practice, I think. Exactly, today. he so was. It's, it sounds like, you know, he might not play in this first game, but then I think after that he's probably going to be back on the team. Yeah, so clearly a receiver. There's going to be some opportunity for some other guys, and the first two deep is out for the KU football season. As far of note, receiver is clearly one of them. So you look at, at the receiver position, Lawrence Arnold starting at the X, Luke Grimm starting at the slot. We had some questions of, is Doug Emelian going to beat him out? Because we heard him being a guy who was playing at the inside receiver, but Grimm ends up edging him out there. That Z receiver spot, you would have figured would have gone to Trevor Wilson or Tanaka Scott. Now that they're both not there, it's Quentin Skinner's, which is interesting. That's a guy that was a walk-on, came in. I think talent-wise has... The ability to be a power five receiver, as he did earn his scholarship. He's six foot five. He runs pretty good speed in, in terms of straight line stuff. He's a redshirt sophomore. He gets the the starting nod, but it's not just going to be him. With Doug Emelian, Kevin Terry, and Stephen McBride, who are listed as the backups on the two deep there, like all those guys are going to get extra run because of that. But I, I definitely found it interesting that Skinner is getting the first shake at it. Yeah, I think. We heard a lot from Lance Leipold about that, though, and and the part that stuck out to me the most is a couple weeks ago when Lance had a had a presser, everyone was asking about Jared Casey. Oh, Jared Casey's on scholarship. Jared Casey's on scholarship. And Lance Leipold went out of his way to remind everyone that Quentin Skinner also was the guy that was a walk on who came on scholarship. Right? He wasn't asked about that. Nobody said anything to him. He he intentionally brought it up during the Jared Casey discussion, which tells me that he obviously he thinks pretty highly of him. To, to bring him up like that by name, right? Mm-hmm. I don't. I think that I don't think you see that maybe as much, right? Especially when Lance Leipold was talking about how, you know, he when it comes to the scholarship stuff, especially for walk-ons, he kind of takes the approach of not necessarily making it a huge deal because he knows there's a lot of guys that are walk-ons that are battling for scholarships and whatnot. So, but he went out of his way by name to mention Quentin Skinner, which suggests to me that they clearly like him, right? A, he got on scholarship, and B, Lance Leipold went out of his way to, to talk about him and, and talk about what he's done, and, and certainly now. With the situation with Trevor Wilson and Tanaka Scott, 
Quentin Skinner may be the biggest beneficiary of that, quote-unquote beneficiary of that, mm. that he's going to be starting week one. You know, it's, it's, I'm looking at, at Quentin Skinner's uh, recruiting profile on 24-7 sports right now. Coming out of high school, so he went to Claremore High School in Oklahoma, and he was a, an unrated recruit on the 24-7 sports composite. I don't know how much football he played. This says he was football and track and field. He actually placed in the top five in the spring of 2019, which wasn't even his final year of high school in the high jump. So clearly, you know, he's got good jumping athleticism. But at the time, his recruiting profile lists him at six foot two, 160 pounds. What do you see now? He's listed at six foot five, 190 pounds. That's a tangible improvement. I wish I could grow three inches. <laughs> right? <laughs> Man. So I. Maybe he's just like a late bloomer. Maybe that's like this is the opportunity he needs, and he'll make some great play or something that leads to him being a consistent player as far as the uh, rotation and the receiver uh, position goes. Outside of that, other notables for me on the two deep. I mean, Jalen Daniels is the quarterback, but that's kind of what we were expecting and everything. This is fun uh, as I'm looking at the offensive side of the ball at the running back position. <laughs> there was pretty funny. Yeah, there are three oars listed. So typically it's called a two deep, right? Because <laughs> everything is too deep. <laughs> a lot of colleges do this though because for for several reasons. Sometimes it is because it is seriously like that deep of a position or that tight of a contest. I just thought this was very funny. It's a Devin Neal or Daniel Hyshaw or Kai Thomas or Savion Morrison. You feel bad for Tory Lachlan there. Devin Neal's gonna be the starter though, right? Yeah. I think outside of that, it's all pretty interchangeable, though. Um, other s things of note on the offense, I was pretty surprised at tight end. Like, we heard a lot about Trevor Cardell over the offseason, how he was doing and everything. And we obviously know what Jared Casey did at the end of last season. But Cardell and Casey are listed as oars for each other for the backup spot with Mason Fairchild, the starter. And it's not surprising if you view it as a standpoint of, well, Mason Fairchild was your majority starter last year, and he's back for his senior season. Of course he would be your starting tight end. But just based on what we had heard from Cardell, based on how Casey did finish the season, I'm a little bit surprised there, even though all of them are going to play. Yeah, yeah. I think the point being there that you like what you said at the end is they're all going to play. I mean, I, I mean, I I don't think it's out of the wrong possibility we could see two, three tight end sets pretty regularly from KU. Especially or, with exactly. less depth at receiver. <laughs> exactly. Even more so early in the season. And if they really are committed to running the ball like I think we kind of suspect they will be, it may not be a bad option to have multiple tight ends out there like that, two or three tight end sets frequently. So it is interesting, but I think I agree with you on the point that we know they're going to play. We know they're all going to play. So I guess from that standpoint, it doesn't really matter what order they're in. Yes, sort of, but maybe not as much as it might in other cases. Yeah. Offensive line, uh, Bostic, Nowitzki, Ford, and Cable do. No shockers there. The only – and I don't know – it's a, it's a bit of a surprise. Dominic Pooney and Armaje Reed Adams are listed as co-starters at left guard. The way I view that, though, like it would be a bit of a surprise if Pooney starts, and I think that would actually be a good sign. And honestly, it is a good sign that he's gotten this to a point. Reed Adams is dealing with some sort of injury at the end of like camp. I think that has to do with it. I, I think if he were fully healthy, he would be the for sure guy. But I will say the fact that Pooney has been able to make it close. As we continue to look at well, who are going to develop as the backup offensive lineman, you have DeAndre Doran, who is the backup center to Mike Nowitzki. He started double-digit games at Buffalo last year, so you feel fine about that. Nolan Gorsica, heard good things about, but also he's a guy who redshirted at Buffalo. So do you really want him playing a ton of meaningful minutes as a redshirt freshman? Probably not. James Livingston, true freshman coming in. Yes, he could be a really good freshman, and 
uh, maybe has a, a closer to D1 ready body than a lot of other college offensive linemen coming in from high school. But again, do you really want a true freshman playing a lot of minutes? Uh, they did make the announcement today. I should probably mention that he's not on the two deep, uh, as you would imagine, but with Baines, the Kobe Baines, the offensive lineman from Louisville, he did get his waiver, so he is immediately eligible. I'd imagine he doesn't pop up on the two deep for several weeks because he has to yeah. get to know the. But but it's nice to have that body. The fact that Dominic Pooney has pushed his way on here tells me that at the very least, you're going to have another good backup offensive lineman with either Pooney or with Reed Adams here, and that's what you need because that's one of the big questions about the offense is the depth of the offensive line. Plus Kobe Baines. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So the, the the depth could be a little bit better than, than maybe you would have hoped at the beginning of camp. I want to switch over to the defensive side here for a second. Um, defensive line, nothing too crazy. Like Malcolm Lee and Jeremy Robinson are listed as oars. Both are going to play. Like we kind of expected that. Sam Burt, Eddie Wilson, Caleb Sampson, Caleb Taylor, Ron McGee, like all those guys are going to play. It is interesting, DJ Withers, though. We, we had been kind of talking with like Kevin Flaherty and, and some people that maybe as part of the D-tackle rotation, one of DJ Withers or Tommy Dunn, two young guys who redshirted last year, would be able to crack the rotation. And that could be pretty telling for next year because you look at the guys in front of them. Caleb Sampson, senior. Caleb Taylor. Um, or, or not Caleb Taylor. Sam Burt is a super senior. Eddie Wilson is a super senior. There's going to be a lot more playing time next year. Withers, I think, immediately becomes the guy you look at next year after having a year in kind of the rotation this year. Um DBs is, is a lot of oars in there, which you would kind of expect for a lot of some of the positions. The one, though, that's the biggest surprise on the DB situation is O.J. Burroughs and Marvin Grant are listed with oar because I think we had heard a lot about Marvin Grant, and we had heard a good amount about O.J. Burroughs continuing to try to get just his body ready for the Power 5 level. Bit of a smaller guy, but has really good instincts and everything. And I'm I I'm part of the O.J. Burroughs uh, fan club here. I think that has to be a pretty pleasing result to tell you that O.J. Bur- and I think this goes across the board on defense, right? You look at the linebackers. Eric Gilliard, Lorenzo McCaskill are backups to Rich Miller and Taiwan Berryhill. It could partially be because those guys are transferring in and that it just takes longer to get acclimated with the scheme and with the playbook. But I think that gives you a good indication that the competitive nature that the coaches kept talking about and wanting to instill allowed some of those players or pushed some of those players to the top to where they're now better than they were last year. And the fact that they beat those guys out has to make you feel good. Yeah, one of my overall takeaways from this two-deep release overall, both offense and defense, is it has felt like in the past, the general vibe of the two-deep under Beatty whatnot in the past where you had a bunch of oars, it was all oh, crap. You know, we don't have <laughs> enough guys to even compete. We can't even figure out who's doing what. Like, we got all these oars. We don't even know what's going on, right? And the vibe of this 2D, 2D feels different. It feels more like, okay, we've got some talented guys that are competing for spots, right? This is not a situation where it's like we feel like the coaching staff is scratching their head saying, man, who are we going to we gonna put out there? Mm-hmm. Let's just throw a bunch of oars on there and we'll figure it out, right? This feels much more like a we've got guys that are competing for positions on the field that are that are in they're talented players and they're competing to, to start or they're competing for starting jobs. So I don't know if you agree with that, but that to me is what it feels like. It's felt like in the past when we had two deep two deep releases where it was or 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 it was 
oh, man, we don't even know what we're doing. Like, what's going on? Does coaching staff even know what's going on with all these oars? Who's even going to start? This year it feels more like it's, it's there's much more control and it's much more of a, listen, we've got guys that transferred in. We've got guys this, that, and the other. We've got talented players that are competing for starting spots, and we're going to see what happens early in the season. I mean, do, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Like, I still think that Eric Gilliard and Lorenzo McCaskill, like those guys, as they get more accustomed with that stuff, like maybe they could end up being starters. But the fact that Taiwan Berryhill emerged over those guys that have a lot of talent transferring in, I, I think that just further backs up the idea of everything that we've heard about him being such an improved player in that unit. The the one that I, I think is going to send the, the fan base maybe into the most, like, what is going on here is honestly going to be the Craig Young or Gavin Potter. Because Craig Young is just this, like, athletic marvel, and Gavin Potter has certainly been a lightning rod for fan criticism over the last few years, especially last season with how much the linebacking core struggled. And I, Gavin Potter, I, I think I said this a week ago or something, is it's kind of similar to like David McCormick and the fact that, you know, David McCormick and same with Gavin Potter, like they, they don't always mess up. It's just that when they would make mistakes, they were very like loud. They were very like, like it's one thing if a defensive tackle gets blown up by a left guard and gets knocked out of the play, you don't see it all the time unless they get like pancaked, you know? Like you're just you're just like, oh, that was part of the play. Like you don't really realize what's happening as much. If you're a linebacker and you just straight up like miss a tackle or <laughs> or you get like trucked by the running back, like it's very obvious. You know what I mean? So I think that's part of it to where maybe he's gotten a little bit of a a, a bad shake because this guy just started playing linebacker as a senior in high school. Either that tells me that Craig Young is still learning the new position and trying to get acclimated here, or that Gavin Potter has really improved. He's taking a step. Yeah, it's one of the two. It's either you're looking to get more out of Craig Young or you're trying to get, or or you've gotten a lot more than you thought out of Gavin Potter. Yeah, I think because of the fact that you have the oars also with McCaskill and and Gilliard Mm -hmm. and Barry Hill and, and Miller, would probably lend credence more to the idea that it's more of a Craig Young is still getting acclimated type thing. But, I mean, it's not a normal possibility that Gavin Potter didn't improve. I mean, listen, Gavin Potter was was one of the leading tacklers for the team mm-hmm. multiple times. So it's not like he's just some guy that's not very good at all. You know what I mean? I mean, he's, he's, he's a decent player, I think. But, yeah, I think, again, when, when you have a situation where you have guys transferring in from – Michigan State, from Ohio State, from UCF. It's like, okay, yeah, these are big-time guys. Like, they need to be on the field week one, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe that might not be the case, which I think maybe could lead to some impatience from from certain people. But but just because a guy transfers from, you know, Ohio State or Alabama or whatever, that doesn't mean that they're going to have an immediate impact, right? It's still probably going to take some time or it's still you might need more time for them to, to get into that, you know? He is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll share the first half of Lance Leipold speaking with the media. This is RCST. Joined now by David Lesky of Inside the Crown here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Royals have an off day today. David, did you know that was even possible for the Royals to have off days anymore? Yeah, well, I, I actually, the uh, the schedule makers wanted to give the Royals 191 games next <laughs> season. Um, and with the caveat that Salvador Perez has to play every one, I, mm. I thought that was odd. Um, <laughs> but they fought back, the PA fought back and said, no, 
Royals going to get off days, and we're going to start this season. So they, they actually gave them an uh, – it wasn't scheduled. They were supposed to play Triple uh, A team today just to keep themselves sharp. They get a day off. That's good. Well, that that was very kind of them. Uh, very, very kind yeah. of them. Yeah. Uh, so what's more worrisome for you uh, right now? Uh, and I don't know. Maybe one of these is more of a long-term worry. One of them is more short-term, short-term whatever. Nicky Lopez is currently third on the Royals and at bats, and he has just a 584 OPS, which is – very below league average, uh, or Ryan O'Hearn just being on the major league roster at all? Oh, it's O'Hearn, 100%. <laughs> because, I mean, it, it, look at Nicky Lopez. He, he's third. A lot of it, yes, he's playing too much. Um, but a lot of it is just he's one of how many guys have been on the roster since opening day and not been on either, either been on the roster since opening day and not been on the injured list or just been on the roster since opening day. And I don't, there's just not many of them. It's, um, it's, it's Bobby Witt, even though he probably should have been on the injured list at some point. Um, who's, who's ahead of him? I knew that. I saw this. And I, I knew. can't remember now who. It was, who was uh, Dozier. Yeah, it was Witt and Dozier. Yeah. So, <laughs> how many of these guys have, have they're, they're the only two, I think, other than Lopez, who have been on, the, been on the club since day one and not hit the injured list. So, that makes sense. But, yeah, O'Hearn shouldn't be on the team. Okay. Uh, Michael A. Taylor is currently struggling in the second half. I'm curious how much you think this was maybe just a reversion to the mean toward more of the hitter we've seen over his career versus how much of this do you think just dates back to the injury that he was dealing with in, in July? Do you think that's something that's still lingering? Well, I'm sorry. First of all, I believe he's three for his last five. Mm, um, okay. It's all fire. <laughs> Uh, wait, did he go three for five yesterday? I'm sorry, three for six. So I'm I'm wrong. Mm. I'm wrong. I should never be trusted in anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it probably is um, regression to the mean, just because he was he was playing better than he ever had before. Um, so I, I think that would have been difficult to maintain over the course of the whole season. Um, you know, that said, <laughs> that that's part of the calculus in not having traded him. So. One of those things, yeah, it look, makes the Royals look bad. But you're right. I think it's interesting. I hadn't actually thought about the, the injury from his pitching performance. But, I mean, ever since then, he hasn't really been hitting. And, and maybe there's something there. I don't know. I think that that's, that would be a good question. Um, I'm, I'm mad at myself for not having thought of it. But, I, look, I think it's certainly possible. Part, part of the issue that makes me think it's not the case is just that um, – I mean, a lot of his issues have been swing decision issues, which, you know, at, at I guess an injury can impact some of that stuff, but at the same time, probably not. You know, <laughs> I think that, that that's that's probably not the issue, but but it could be playing into it. Maybe it's impacted his mechanics a little bit. I don't know. Uh, that, that's a good question. Um, I'd bet on more regression to the mean, but you never know. Do you think his like if the Royals? couldn't have traded him at the deadline because maybe the injury and, and teams are questioning that, or if it was just them being too attached to him or, or having to have a price on him, if hypothetically they change their mind and we get to the off season and they're like, hey, you know what, we will trade him. Do you think his value will be like much different than it was in July? Will it be lower? Will it be about the same? Like, like How do you kind of view that? My guess is the offers will be about the same because I think that most teams saw him as a fourth outfielder and 
I think that they may have been a little more excited about him potentially with the way he was hitting before, before he started to fall off a little bit. Um, but, but I still think most teams say, Hey, this isn't the guy we're going to play 150 games. So, or whatever was left, doesn't matter. Um, so I, I think the offers, you still look at Michael A. Taylor as a really good defensive center fielder who's making a reasonable amount of money next year. Four and a half million. It seems like a lot. Um, it's, yeah, it's 60% of your salary, but for, for <laughs> random person, it's a lot money. Um, but for a baseball player, it, it, that's very reasonable for a fourth outfielder who can do what Taylor can do. Um, there, there are a lot of teams out there who have a center fielder who they would have no qualms putting somebody out there in the seventh or eighth inning with the lead. And if you can put a guy like Michael A. Taylor, who has the glove, has a great arm, I mean, all the, all the stuff that he brings to the table in, in a complimentary role, I think makes a lot of sense. And for $4.5 million is, is not that much money. I think nobody seems interested. It's just a matter of the Royals say, hey, we're going to try to catch lightning in a bottle again, which, I mean, how likely is that? I, I wouldn't bet on it, but they've done that in the past. Um, but, I mean, I think there will be teams interested at the very least, just a matter of if they say yes. Yeah, I I don't know. I wonder if we're going to chalk that up at the end of the day as like, you know, with Whit Merrifield in the past, like, oh, they should have traded him one of the last few years. Yeah, the, the, the difference, though, is with Whit Merrifield, I think they could have gotten a, a pretty big return if they had done that in 2019, I guess, would be the best time. I, I don't know. I, somewhere in that range, you know, in the 2018, 2019, after the season, whatever that would be. I think they could have gotten a... I don't know, franchise altering, but a, a, a player who I think you could look at as a key part of a 2024 playoff team, let's say. I don't think you were ever getting that from Michael A. Taylor. And so, like, yes, it, it's. A, I think it was a mistake not to move him, um, but I don't think – I think the mistake is in not clearing playing time for somebody else rather than what you could have gotten back, which is – I mean, there's not a – there's a difference. Um, kind of, I guess – it's just a different, a different way of being frustrated by, by something that the Royals did or didn't do. But I, I just think Merrifield would have brought back more when he could have and should have been traded than Taylor would have this, this past trade deadline. As I'm looking at Daniel Lynch. I'm looking at like his baseball savant page. It is littered with blue, which is not, not ideal, except for like his extension, which is in the 94th percentile. Um, and I'm looking at some of the numbers like across the board from last year to this year, and a lot of them are like, exact same or, or pretty similar or whatnot. But it's it's hard not to watch him and be like, this is a better pitcher than it was last year, even if some of the results don't maybe show it yet. Have you? W- would you say there is a tangible I- improvement from Lynch from last year to, to this year? And, and have you seen enough to make you think that, you know, he could kind of get it rolling maybe as soon as next season? Yeah, I mean, I think statistically it's hard to see it. Like you said, the, the numbers – are they pop off the page in a bad way? Um, I, I think I think there's a couple things that that give me a little bit of encouragement. One, um, the person Daniel Lynch and Chris Bubich both. These are guys who, if you give them a task to work towards something, they are very savvy at their craft. They may not end up being good. I'm not saying that there are there are a lot of guys who know what they're doing and don't end up being good. But if you ask me to pick which pitchers on this staff can take, take a direction in October and come back in February with that direction figured out, it would be those two. So that right there is, is one thing that's really encouraging for me. Um, the other thing, though, I think you can just there, – there's, there's the results and then there's the watching of the stuff. And I don't, 
<laughs> trying to say, get, get on the grass, watch the game. No, no, no. I don't, I don't mean that. Um, that's not my style, obviously. <laughs> but I think if you watch Daniel Lynch pitch, it's hard to watch him and think, ah, no, nah, he's nothing. Because the, the fastball, when it's right, pops. And we saw it on, uh, on Saturday. He wasn't getting it high enough earlier in the game. And he made a mistake to Will Myers. He got out of the park and then just couldn't get out of that third inning. But at some point, he I don't know if he made an adjustment or if it just worked out better, but he was, he was the fastball was rising a little bit more. It was getting more toward that top, maybe to the top third, like the top eighth of the strike zone and, and right above it. Um, and and it, was, it was actually getting some swings and misses and, and, and looked – just, he looked like a much better pitcher. And then he talked after the game, too, about having altered his slider grip slightly. Didn't even realize it happened, which is so easy to do. I mean, it, I, it's not even – it's like a 30-second of an inch difference can make a huge difference in the way it spins. Well, he caught it in, in, his, in his throwing sessions between games um, because they have all, that, all the cameras behind and in front and everything like that. He was able to see it, made the adjustment, and the slider was better immediately. So, you know, learning what can go wrong and then what has gone wrong and then how to fix that, that's part of development. And, and I think that he is he's getting that opportunity this season. At some point, we've got to see the results, obviously, for sure. But I, I think you've got to feel pretty good, uh, at least about the base he has to work with. And that's, that's, that's a good starting point. Yeah, I would, I would love him to have taken the step Brady Singer has taken. But I think – I there's reason to believe you could see that next year. Yeah, I'll be interested too with a you know new pitching coach and everything. Like if they're able mm-hmm. to unlock that, because I, I know I've I've made mention of this guy before, and and both of these guys, like you see Jorge Lopez, and that's a little different because you're you're going to reliever. Like we saw that with the Royals with Wade Davis going from starter to reliever, and and right. what you did there. But even like a guy like Jake Junis going to San Francisco, and uh, he's had a couple bad starts here, but overall he's having a good season, and just seeing like. I don't know. I could just envision that happening with Daniel Lynch. Uh, and you hope that instead of it being a new situation with a new pitching coach elsewhere, that it's just the new right. pitching coach is able to unlock that with him. Um, I, I'm curious, as far as that goes with kind of the Jorge Lopez conversation, which former starter do you think has a better future as a future reliever, Carlos Hernandez or Brad Keller? That's a good question because, um, yeah, you can say you can say you're welcome. Um, oh, you're welcome. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's such a good question because they both have the stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think you look at Brad Keller with 97 and his slider, and then you look at Carlos Hernandez with 99 plus and his slider or curve or changeup or splitter. I mean, Hernandez has the pitches. I, I think if you're looking at upside, you know, if, if you say which one of the two is going to be a top five closer in baseball three years from now, it's Carlos Hernandez. He has, he's more likely. Which of the two is more likely to be a consistently good reliever? It's probably Keller, just because he has, I think, the background of knowing how to get big league hitters out. I think that helps. I, you know, Carlos Hernandez has had very little big league success. He hasn't had a lot of failure, by the way. I'm not saying that. He just hasn't had much of anything. He had a, he had a really good run last year for – Oh, about six weeks before he wore down in, in early September and then struggled to start this season. So he really hasn't had I mean, much of either. Um, and so I, I think Keller has good enough stuff with the experience that I think he, he has the best chance to be a solid um, 
back end reliever. I, I think I wrote last week. If, if you if you wake if you put me to sleep and wake me up in mid July next year, and Brad Keller leads the Royals in saves with fifteen, I would I'd kind of shrug and be okay because <laughs> I could see it. It makes sense. Um, but I think the upside with Hernandez out of the bullpen is huge. Uh, Drew Waters had his first full week with the Royals. What were your thoughts on his early play and finishing up the weekend with uh, his first extra base hit? Yeah, I thought he looked good. Um, and we talked last week after he got the game-winning RBI on a walk, which is um, – I didn't look it up, but I, I would imagine that doesn't happen very often in a major league debut, that you walk in the game-winning run. Um, but uh, that, so that was, that was nice to see. I, I think um, – when a guy doesn't get his first big league hit for for a few at bats, it starts to become a thing. <laughs> and and he it took him what six at bats I think seven, like eight plate appearances to get a couple walks, and then he chopped that single over um, third base against the Diamondbacks, and and then since then he's come back with some really good swings. And and I think that um, I, I, he's not a I don't think he's a an MVP type hitter or anything like that. But I think he has a nice swing. I think he a swing geared towards some power. He obviously has some patience. He's going to strike out some, um, but I, I like what we've seen from him. And defensively, he hasn't really shown me any reason to doubt. I don't. I don't think he's had. I think maybe one tough play, and he did. He missed. It was a ball. Um, now I can't remember if it was against the Diamondbacks or the the Padres, but he dropped a fly ball that was a, ended up being a foul ball. Um, he, he he got to it, which getting to it alone was kind of a big deal, and he got to it without having to really make a huge effort. He's just that quick and fast. But um I yeah, I think he's I think he's gonna be just fine out there in the outfield and I, I think the bat will play enough that it that the defense supports it. Is he because I obviously there's several players like this, but when you look at finishing up the season for Drew Waters and some of these other players, like how I, I guess which players would you highlight right now that are most in contention for trying to prove themselves to be able to solidify a spot headed into the offseason where the team isn't trying to get outside help at that position to, to kind of replace them. Yeah, it's um, to me, it's him. He's one of them. Kyle Isbell, honestly, is probably one of them. He, he's he been a little bit better lately, but, you know, it's, it's, it's been a rough go for him. And part of it is that he hasn't gotten consistent playing time, but you know, part of it is that he struggled when he has played. So I, I think he's on that list. Um, MJ Melendez, in a way, in left field, I think is on that list because at some point the Royals are going to have to decide, hey, can he do this 110 times in 2023? Or do we need to go out and get somebody? Or is it Kyle Isabella or Drew Waters or whatever? Um, so that, that that's on there. But the other guy that I, that I keep thinking of is Michael Massey, who I love Michael Massey. And I think, I think he's a guy who, if, if it all works out, he will. He and Vinny Pasquantino are like the two fan favorites because, yes, the superstars. People love Salvi and and all that, but who, it was Lorenzo Cain. He was the guy that people just glommed onto. Um, and and I think that not that not that Massey or Pasquantino are, have have a whole lot in common at their game with with Lorenzo Cain, but they're kind of like the next step. Not, I don't want to say down. That's, <laughs> that's a terrible thing to say because they're not. They're good players, and Pascal, you know, might end up being the best hitter on the team. But I, I think those are the guys who the fan base will just absolutely adore because of the way they go about their business and just 
yeah, their attitude, they're fun guys. I mean, I think, I think, I think people will really like them, but I think Massey has, has some work to do. Not, not that he's done poorly or anything, but he's, he's working to earn a second base job starting the 2023 season. And I, I think that some of it depends on Bobby Witt Jr. and where they decide to play him, because if he plays, if Witt's going to be at third base next year, um, and that opens up short stop for Nicky Lopez or Michael Garcia, who also should be in consideration. And that makes second base an easy decision. I, personally, I think second base is an easy decision anyway. But I, I think Matthew's got to do a little work to solidify that. And, and so he's one of those guys, too. All right, before we let you go, David, who is the player of the week? Whew, um, I've been with Brady Singer a couple weeks in a row, so I'm going to go off the beaten path, give it to Bobby Witt Jr., 283, 21, 600. He's got a couple homers. He's got three steals, 150 weighted creator plus. He's he had a good week, and I, I this might be his first award for me. Yeah, that's that's actually pretty crazy to believe because uh, I you would just think that at some point, but I, I guess uh, you know sometimes the answer is right under your nose, and and you you want to go with somebody yeah. who, who maybe doesn't get as much credit, which is uh, understandable. But David, I appreciate the time as always, man. You can check out all his work at Inside the Crown. Have a good one. Talk to you next week. Thanks, Derek. All right, that's David Lesky. Subscribe to his Substack Inside the Crown. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. Thanks for joining us on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Derek Johnson with Nick Springer on another edition of RCST here. Coming up today, we start in just a little bit. Our Trivia Bowl Week. So we have the Kansas Lottery Bowl. That's going to be our first one. 23rd Street Brewery Bowl, which is one of our semifinals, will be our second. On tomorrow's show, we're going to have our Jayhawk Trophy Bowl and then our Johnny's Tavern Bowl, which is our other semifinal. Wednesday, we're scheduled to have the championship matchup, which should be exciting to get to that. By the way, venue 1235, if you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, venue 1235 has you covered, located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Um, but all these bowl games should be super exciting. Uh, the four division winners moved on. So we have Kyle Coffey versus Blake McFarland today. Tomorrow we have Blake Farrell versus Michael Plank for the semifinals. And then the second place uh, divisional teams got the bids to the bowl game so should be pretty fun with all that we do though have a Heisman award to give out so everybody who has made it to a bowl game so far you're going to get a gift card to the 23rd street brewery you're going to get a gift card to Johnny's Tavern you're going to get a engraved RCST tumbler from Jayhawk Trophy and you're getting a pair of tickets to the Kansas Lottery 150 slash 300 because it's both races at the Kansas Speedway coming on September 10th you're getting all that stuff if you win your bowl game, you're getting a couple more gift cards to uh, both Johnny's Tavern and 23rd Street Brewery. And you're going to get two more tickets to the Kansas Speedway on September 10th. Champions are going to get a championship trophy, Bayhawk Trophy, and also a $145 gift card to a local place that you can go get some KU gear. That thanks to 23rd Street Brewery. So a lot certainly on the line. But we have an individual award to give out. It's funny because technically this is all individual, but we view the regular season and, and the other stuff as teams. Um, Scott Chasen decided to spearhead a Heisman voting for this. And the winner of the Heisman Trophy, we're going to announce it in just a second here, um, but the winner is going to receive a $25 gift card 
to a local place that you can get some KU gear. This is not a sponsor, so I don't want to give out free advertising. Um, and then they will also receive a pair of tickets to the Kansas Speedway coming up on September 10th. There are four finalists for the award. We put it up on our Twitter account, at RCST1320. But I have the winner. I have an envelope. And, drum roll please. <laughs> Justin Nichols, congratulations. You have won the Heisman Trophy, the inaugural Heisman Trophy of RCST Trivia. Had a chance to catch up with the director of the voting, Scott Chasen, to discuss the vote. Here's our conversation. We are joined by the Heisman Committee Chair, Scott Chasen. And, you know, before we we talk about some of these contestants and Justin winning this stuff, I, I do have one question here. Do we have to call this the, instead of the Heisman Trophy, the Nichols Trophy or the Justin Trophy? Like, like what do we do with the name now? That's a really good question. I hadn't thought about that. And Heisman Trophy, you know, when you do RCST trivia for basketball, how you can't say Final Four, um, Heisman Trophy is almost certainly trademarked. So uh, I, I'm realizing now that I may have gotten both myself and you into trouble. But, look, I'm just a simple chairman of a committee. I was appointed by my committee members to do this job. And, uh, yeah, we will look at changing the name of this trophy. That is nothing like the football Heisman Trophy. Completely mm -hmm. different. Well, who knows? Maybe we'll call it the Chasen because you were uh, giving out the, the awards here. Like maybe maybe that's that's part of this. So the criteria, really hard questions were part of it. Perfects were part of it. The swag meter is part of it. You have your own formula that you've kind of devised here. What went into Justin coming away with the win? Was it particularly close or did he distance himself pretty well from the rest of the competition? Well, the competitors made it incredibly close because think about Justin and just his resume alone. I mean, this is a guy, he's answering questions that aren't even his questions to answer. Like you just throw out there, <laughs> I don't even know what Puka Williams' first name is, and he tells you it's mm -hmm. Anthony. This is a guy who got three really hard questions. His only loss was to Blake in a game that Blake scored a perfect 24 points. He scored 17 points in that game. He got a really hard question, and he only gets his loss because the one guy in the competition, the one person who scored more points than him, goes perfect that week. If that matchup goes the other way, he's going to the playoff. Mm. Um, and then, obviously, I mean, pulling a game-winning, bowl-clinching, buzzer-beating, really hard question the last week of the season for his third really hard, that was a Heisman moment. No one was able to overcome that. But I'll tell you what, uh, a couple of guys made it really close down the stretch, and that made this thing a whole lot of fun. Well, let's talk about some of those guys. Uh, Kyle Coffey, Michael Plank, Chris Yurchek, those were the other finalists for this award. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about Chris first, or I, I don't know who finished it. I believe it was Chris the, as the runner-up, correct? Yes, Chris was the runner-up, and, and it broke my heart to have to give this award to someone. You know, Chris, the last time we saw him, he answered a walk-off really hard. He took Kyle Coffey, the undefeated Kyle Coffey, to overtime, but he left the door open. You know, I was doing research. I went back to that matchup, and in that matchup, people don't remember this, but Chris ended with a win or, or ended with a correct answer. He answered a medium question correct, but then Kyle just came over the top and answered a hard question correct. And I'll, I'll talk about both of them. Kyle answered two hard questions in overtime. He went for it, but... I felt like the strength of that division wasn't necessarily there. In Kyle's case, he was undefeated, but he scheduled an incredibly weak, almost non-existent, <laughs> non-conference schedule, um, and, and that really let him down. No, Chris was the runner-up. 
Um, it, it left a bad taste in your mouth all season that he got his last question right in overtime, but let someone else take it from him. He did make up swag points late in the year. He made this incredibly close. And for Kyle, look, he already won a bunch of stuff. He's in the playoff. I'm not giving him the Heisman. Okay, so that is, is that part of the criteria, too? It's like, uh, what have you accomplished? You can't be the top accomplished person because, like you said, Kyle beat Chris head-to-head. So some might be asking, why is Kyle not ahead of Chris? Well, look, Kyle had a, a tremendous season. Kyle was undefeated. But even, you know, down the stretch, we're talking about resting starters and how much does this guy want it. This is a guy who went to overtime twice. He's supposed to be this undefeated champion. Look, as Kyle pointed out, I gave him a follow on Twitter because I find him entertaining. I think the swag is off the charts with him. I had a very, pre- you know, I have a proprietary swag meter, and mm-hmm. he earned three points in that, which was tied second most of anyone wow. uh, in the competition. If you want to know how that actually worked, if anyone did something cool, I just gave them a point. So um, <laughs> it, it, it was very elaborate. No, but look, Kyle and Chris made it tough, and Michael, by the way, how about Michael? I mean, down to his final matchup, I think he had to win to get where he ended up mm-hmm. in the in the playoff. He did that, too. I, I was impressed with all of them. Derek, this was the best group of Heisman contestants mm. and competitors that I've ever had to serve on a committee to rank um, in trivia. So, you know, it, it was a tough decision. It came down to the end. But, you know, I stand by my decision, and Derek, for you to, to give the Heisman winner a brand-new Kia Sorento. Nope. Um, I think that's incredibly, incredibly generous nope. of you. Nope. Um, nope. And I, I think you have an announcement about giving the runner-up uh, one as well. No, I do not. I do not. Um, no, no, no. Let's not get that out there. Uh, $25 gift card, though, to a local place. They can go get some uh, KU gear. So there's that. So, yeah, we also yeah, got that's, that's a pair That's very nice, and, and maybe the contestants don't know this, but um, if you head on over to Galloway's Deli and, and mention my name, they will let you eat for free. You just got to find it in the Lawrence area. There you go. Well, Scott, I appreciate it, man. And, uh, yeah, good good Heisman voting there. We'll, we'll figure out what the name of the award is next year. Congrats on a great season, and I recommend naming it after yourself because I do not want anything named after me ever. Yeah, but the Johnson Trophy, just it's too generic. (laughs) I take it back. I take it back. (laughs) All right. Well, Scott, appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. All right. That is uh, Scott Jason, chair of the Heisman Committee. So if you have any complaints, take it up with Scott. But Justin Nichols, congratulations. He'll be in our bowl game coming up tomorrow. Didn't make the playoff, just missed out. But he is the winner of the inaugural, whatever we're going to call it. I'm glad you vetoed the Johnson. Do you want to be? Should it be the Springer Trophy? Uh, it could be. I, I mean, think there's, the there's former Jayhawk better. safety Justin Springer. Yeah, yeah. So there's maybe a tie in there. There you go. I don't know. Maybe maybe we can think of someone to to honor. Or something. I mean, uh, the obvious pick would be to name it like the the Todd Reesing Trophy. Yeah, or something. Ooh, what if I? I mean, but it's RCST related. We could call it like the Haney. He started Rock Chalk Sports yeah, Talk. Maybe that's Haney a nod. Trophy. I don't know. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Let's get to that first RCST trivia matchup. We have the Kansas Lottery Bowl featuring two top 10 opponents, fifth-ranked Ben Wilson, ninth-ranked Aaron Mayer. Fantastic seasons. We'll see who can uh, punch it off with a victory to finish things out. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk and RCST Trivia on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. It's bowl season, bowl week here for RCST Trivia. We've got our first one. It's the Kansas Lottery Bowl. Once again, RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and the Kansas Lottery. And the Kansas Lottery is sponsoring the upcoming events at the Kansas Speedway with NASCAR coming out. Everybody who's in a bowl game is going to receive a pair of tickets to the Kansas Lottery 150 and 300 at the Kansas Speedway. Also, a 
$25 gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, a $25 gift card to Johnny's Tavern, an engraved tumbler from Jayhawk Trophy. So you guys have already collected that. Whoever wins, though, today gets two more tickets to the Kansas Lottery, 150 and 300. So you'll have a four-pack. You'll be able to bring all sorts of people with you. You also get an extra gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, an extra gift card to Johnny's Tavern. So some extra prizes are on the line. And also, you know, just, just finish off your season with a win, get a bull victory, finish even ranked higher. Who knows? We we uh, are going to have our trivia poll come out even after the championship. So if you have an impressive enough performance, maybe you can get a split title somehow as a, uh, a voted-upon team. The only difference in the rules from last week and, and the first regular season to this week, everything's the same. We're doing one bonus round that is at the end where you'll just get to pick your own adventure of what round you want to go in. And it'll be the fifth question. The losing team will get to go first as part of that. So with that being said, our contestants here for the Kansas Lottery Bowl, fifth ranked Ben Wilson, three and one record, 65 points scored, taking on ninth ranked Aaron Mayer, who is two and two with 58 points scored, 76 if you count the overtime games. Ben, we'll start with you. You had a crushing loss with how that thing came about in your Thursday finale against Michael Plank. You were so close to making it to the playoff right now. Instead, you fall in the lottery. We hear this every year during bowl season. Do they really want to be there? How much are they going to care after having the letdown of almost making the playoff? Uh, have you found it hard to get yourself revved back up for this event? A hundred percent, especially going on Thursday at the end of the week last week. And then today is a Monday. It's, it was uh, a weekend of, of self-pity where I, I was not uh, happy that I let myself kind of fall short there. Yeah, I mean, we went into that matchup going, if, if you had a good enough matchup, you would have been the number one overall seed in yeah. the playoff and, and now just missing it. Aaron, meanwhile, you had you, you were kind of in the driver's seat, too. You were 2-0 through the first two weeks, and then you, you finished out at 2-2 two two with a couple tough losses there to close out the season. So, so do you feel the same way? Like, is it is it a lot harder to, to get yourself to study or to get enthusiastic about this as opposed to the playoff? Uh, I'm, I'm just really happy to be here. Like, I... On a two-game losing streak, I don't feel like I should be in a bowl game, but I'm, I'm going to make the most of it today. I, I did do a little bit of studying, but I, I don't know. I I don't want to keep going over stuff because I think I get too much information in my head, then I miss easy questions like Marcus Herford. So. Yeah, that one you'll be you'll be kicking yourself over for a while here. Um, so yeah. I guess we'll get going here into the matchup. I, I have received a, a new quarter, so we don't have to worry about the quarter that was stolen last week. Hopefully this one does not get stolen as well. Um, ben, you were the higher-ranked team, so I will give you the option. Would you like heads or tails? I'll go heads. It is tails. So, Aaron, would you like to go first or would you like to go second? Mm, I'll go second. Okay. And once again, once we get to the bonus round, that'll just be whoever's losing goes first. But to start off, we'll head into the easy round of questions. This is just like normal for here. First quarter of play, these are worth three points. First up for you, Ben, in the Kansas Lottery Bowl. This Jayhawk quarterback finished ninth in the country in completions per game in 2008. Todd Reesing. Todd Reesing, once again, the correct answer, and he continues to be the most popular answer among everyone. Okay, Aaron, your first question. This Jayhawk receiver, wearing the number 80-80, finished fourth in the country in receiving yards per game in 2008. Desmond Briscoe. Yep, Desmond Briscoe, the correct answer there. He's been a popular one also, and it is 3-3 three to three after the first quarter of play. 
Into the second quarter we go. These are worth six points in the medium round. Back to you, Ben. Devin Neal started eight games for Kansas last season. Name one of the other two running backs who earned a start at that position. Belton Gardner. Yep, he started the opener. The other one was Amori Pesek-Hickson, who started when Neal was injured for the uh, season finale against West Virginia. Okay, Ben takes a 9-3 to lead. Six-pointer for you, Aaron, in the medium round. Kenny Logan and Ricky Thomas each started 11 games at safety last season for KU. Name one of the other two safeties who earned a start there. Uh, I really should know this. God, I'm drawing a blank right now. Ten seconds. Lob a name. Uh, Fowler. Correct answers. Either Jason Gilliam would have been accepted or O.J. Burroughs. O.J. Burroughs was the one that I thought you might have known. Okay, 9-3 to three is the score. Ben leads it going into the second half of play. Into the hard round of questions. These are worth seven points. Ben, name this 1995 Kansas starting quarterback who led the team with nearly 2,000 passing yards and 16 total touchdowns. Uh, Chip Hillary. That is incorrect. It is Mark Williams. Mark Williams, the correct answer there. Okay, Aaron, you got a chance to get it right back with a (laughs) seven-pointer of your own. Mark Williams' leading receiver that season notched 48 catches for 604 yards and five touchdowns. Who was KU's leading receiver in that 1995 season? Isaac Bird. Isaac Bird is the correct answer. And that's a big hit for you. So 10 to 9 the score as we head into the fourth quarter of the Kansas Lottery Bowl between Ben and Aaron. Again, this will be two rounds for the fourth quarter with the really hard question and then the bonus question. So we'll start with you, Ben, here into the really hard round. These are worth eight points. Outside of Howard Reed, Kansas had two other All-Missouri Valley Conference selections in 1908. Name one of them. Uh, 1908 players. Can I... um... Merconic. That's a good guess because he's a he's an old timer, good player for KU. He wasn't quite that old though. It was either Swede Carlson or Carl Pleasant. Which me saying those names. Yeah, I was gonna say it probably means nothing. Okay, Aaron, you got a chance to I believe if you hit this, you would just clinch the win because you'd be up nine points, and no matter what Ben does on the uh, choose your own round, you would secure the win. So Aaron for you. Kansas had two All-Missouri Valley Conference picks in 1910. Name one. I know those guys you you named did it two years in a row. I don't know if they did it three years in a row. But let's go Swid Carlson again. Crafty guess? Incorrect, though. Earl Ammons or Ellis Davison? 
were the correct answers there. Okay, so Aaron, you have a 10 to 9 lead right now as we head into the basically bonus round of the fourth quarter. And that means Ben is going to have the option of what to choose from first. So, Ben, what category would you like to go in? There's a lot of strategy involved here. If you go with the easy, you pretty much would secure taking the lead, but then that's all Aaron would have to answer. If you go with the medium, you know, it's kind of the same thing. So, uh, tough decision here, Ben. What are you going with? I'm doing math in my head. Even if I answer a medium, it only puts me up five. Yeah, he, he could medium yep. and, and win by a point. So it's it's bowl season. You got to go bear, go home. Let me go with the uh, hard okay. round. I think that's the smart. That, that, that's a seven-pointer, right? Yes, it's seven. So it puts you up six. Yeah. It would send you to overtime if he hits a medium after that, or he'd have to hit a hard to win. So I, I think that's the smart way of doing it here. All right, Ben. For you, a hard round question worth seven points. The last time Kansas rushed for 400 yards in a single game was in 2018 against who? Oh, uh, I think it's probably West Virginia when Khalil Herbert rushed for like 200-something yards. Uh, if I'm thinking about the years, would that make sense? Leo would have been there then. Puka probably was on Ten that seconds. team. Uh, I'll go Cleo Herbert. Or not, sorry, West Virginia. You had a, a good guess because I think it was 2017 when Khalil Herbert ran for like 300 yards against West Virginia. But in 2018, they rushed for over 400 yards in that Rutgers game. Oh, so they just okay. blew out Rutgers. Okay, so Aaron, you have secured the win. Would you like to just go for a really hard question just to try to top it off? Or, or what do you want to do here to try to finish out in terms of points? Can I get a really hard one that's not before 1920? Um, <laughs> sure. I can promise you that. Do that. Because I just looked at There's the There's no question. way I'm remembering any of those guys before 1920. There's no way. Well, it's not before 1920, but this is old. Okay. Aaron, for you. Just to uh, top things off here and, and go out with a nice rushing touchdown on the final play of the game. Name this Jayhawk who was nicknamed the double threat from Sublet. Uh, Otto, uh, I don't know how to pronounce it, Schnellbacher, something like that. That's right. Otto Schnellbacher, the correct answer there. And that's a good finish for you, Aaron. You hit the really hard. You get the eight points. You come away with a 18-9 victory in the Kansas Lottery Bowl, the inaugural Kansas Lottery Bowl. So, Aaron, how much better does that make you feel about your season getting to come away with a victory in the end? Uh, I, I do feel a lot better. I was just going to go into this having a lot of fun. Like, it's it's game week for KU. We get sports betting on Thursday. I saw Nebraska lose last Saturday. Like, it's it's already been a good Monday so far. Like, I'm, I'm pumped for this week, and I was just going to go into this and have a lot of fun with, with Ben, and and I'm, I'm just glad I walked away with the W. Got, got some extra prizes, so that's pretty cool. Where do you think you should be ranked next year? Now that you, you know, we see this all the time. A team wins a bowl game and then they get ranked really high the next year in the preseason poll. Do you think this this pushes you into the top five for the preseason trivia in 2023? Uh, probably up to where I started this year. Number seven sounds right. I mean, that's up two spots. Yeah. Okay with that. Well, Ben, uh, I, I know you said you came into this and it was just tough to kind of muster up the same enthusiasm and everything going into it. Do you think that hurts you coming into this that, Maybe you just, you know, this is the SEC talk, right? When the SEC loses in a bowl game, it's like, ah, oh, they weren't trying. Could you use that that excuse? I, I think it just shows that your money's made in the hard round. Mm -hmm. So these last two matchups, I was up going into the third quarter, but still lost because it's it's those hard round questions. That's what really turns the game. 
so Aaron's ability to, to get those hard ones, nice work, Aaron, was really what they changed that game with with Isaac Bird. And so it, it it's you, you gotta you gotta answer your hard ones if you think you're gonna win. Yeah, if that would have been switched, if you would have got the Isaac Bird one, would you have got that right? I, I would have. He would have been my guess. Uh, he's the only receiver I could have named from the mid nineties. Um, but Hey, that that's how, that's how the questions are asked. And so you, you really can't control that. And so just one of those things, Aaron, would you have gotten the Mark Williams one? Yeah. I rewatched that Aloha bowl game uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice. Yeah. That was a, a certainly a fun one for KU. Well, guys, great season for both. of You You both finished with a winning record. Both got to participate in the Kansas lottery bowl. Both are going home with some prizes. Aaron, you gather a few more, extra gift cards and stuff, extra tickets and stuff in there as well. But uh, more than anything, thank you both, and thank you to everybody uh, for being a part of this. We, we love doing it. We love having you guys on, and, and just awesome stuff once again. Pack the booth. See everyone. <laughs> That's right. The Kansas Lottery Bowl in the books there, and Aaron, the original, the original winner of uh, the inaugural winner, I guess is the right word there, for the Kansas Lottery Bowl. We have one of our semifinals coming up today. We've got... Kyle Coffey taking on Blake McFarland is basically the 1-4 matchup, but Blake is ranked 8th in the trivia top 10. But essentially, for seeding purposes, it is the 1-4 as part of the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl and the college football or RCST Trivia playoff semifinal. That upcoming next. You're listening to RCST Trivia on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and Kansas Lottery. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, depending on it. Our first playoff features the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl as the one seed, Kyle Coffey, the only unbeaten member remaining in RCST Trivia, 4-0 so far, 65 total points, 79 including overtime, which he got an OT win last week, taking on Blake McFarland, who is basically the four seed in the playoff. He's only ranked eighth, though, in the, the trivia, being slighted there with a 3-1 and record, 46 total points scored for Blake to this point. So, Kyle, we're going to start with you. You're the favorite. You didn't win the Heisman Trophy. Um, we announced that earlier in the show. Is that, now that you're hearing that, an extra chip on your shoulder? Or is that something that, you know, you're, you're just focused on the team success? I'm focused on the team success. There's been so many times where a Heisman Trophy winner has uh, won something, and but their team maybe finished 9-3 and three or something. I'm focused on the uh, the bigger picture of it, so... You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I guess I just got to work a little bit more on my swag meter, uh, as Scott would say, or whatnot there. So uh, just got to focus on that. But right now I'm focused. Uh, had some tough matchups, so I'm looking forward to play, facing Blake today and seeing what we can uh, see what we can do. Well, Blake, like I said, do you have a chip on your shoulder because the ranking next to your name? Absolutely, Derek. I mean, I won my way in. I got lucky, but I won my way in, and to be eighth would mean that I'd be barely making the second playoff if we expanded. So, no, I, I think I'm better than that, so it's time to go prove it. All right. Well, uh, once again, you guys have both, to this point, just for making it to the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl, you get a gift card to the 23rd Street Brewery. You get a gift card to Johnny's Tavern. You get an engraved tumbler from Jayhawk Trophy. You get a pair of tickets to the Kansas Lottery 150 and 300 at the Kansas Speedway. Whichever one of you wins is going to get an extra pair of tickets. You'll have four total tickets to that event. You can take a bunch of friends or family or whatever. You'll get an extra gift card to the 23rd Street Brewery and an extra gift card to Johnny's Tavern. And most importantly, you'll move on to the championship match to which you can win a championship trophy from Jayhawk Trophy. You can win the pride of being the trivia champion. And you can win a $145 gift card 
to a local KU football, or, or I guess to a local place you can get some KU football gear or uh, whatever you want. So certainly a lot on the line in uh, all of this. But with that being said, let's go ahead and roll the music. We're going to get things going here. I do have a quarter once again. And Kyle, because you are the higher seed, I'm going to let you choose. Do you want heads or tails? Well, if it was going to be the app, I was going to do heads. It seemed to be uh, pretty heavy heads, but uh, the quarter is giving me good luck with tails, so I'm going to go tails. Okay. It is heads, though, so you should have stuck with your initial gut. Blake, you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? I'll go first. Okay. And once again, a reminder, once we get to the fifth round, the kind of choose-your-own-adventure, it'll just be whoever's losing goes first as part of that. So, Blake, up first, into the easy round, first quarter play. These are worth three points. Blake, playing from 2007 to 2010, this Jayhawk defensive back went undrafted into the NFL, yet has spent over a decade in the league with both the Denver Broncos and now L.A. Chargers. Chris Harris. Chris Harris, super nice dude. Always would have been cool to see him play with the Chiefs when he was kind of in his prime, but he's always been playing against the Chiefs. Okay, Kyle, for you, after Blake scores the opening three of the game. Playing from 2011 to 2014, this Jayhawk linebacker was drafted in the NFL by the Oakland Raiders after totaling a team-high 127 tackles as a senior. Ben Heaney. Yep, Ben Heaney. Had a few years in the NFL, and we are tied 3-3 three to three at the end of the first quarter. Okay, into the second quarter of play, back to you, Blake, for six points in the medium round. Kansas earned a 13-10 victory on September 21st of 2013 on a 52-yard field goal against what Conference USA opponent? Uh, Derek, I was at this game. Uh, I believe the kicker broke his wrist that night later at the uh, Jayhawk Cafe, as rumors would say, and the opponent was Louisiana Tech. Yeah, I, I definitely heard that rumor. I, I don't know if it's substantiated, but I, I, I don't know. I, I like to roll with it that it is. Um, yeah, that is correct. Matthew Wyman, I believe, was the kicker there who nailed that one. Okay, Blake up 9-3 to three here. Kyle, for you. In that 2013 season, Kansas had zero turnovers in a game just one time. It came in a 34-19 home loss to what Big 12 opponent? I think it's West Virginia. 10 seconds. Is that your guess? Yep. The correct answer there is Oklahoma. That was the game that KU was in for a while, and it looked like they were almost going to pull an upset on Oklahoma. Blake Bell was the starting quarterback at the time for the Sooners. Okay, Blake, you have worked out to a 9-3 lead at halftime. We head to the third quarter. These are worth seven points. Blake, for you first. The KU record for attendance is 52,530 people. What 2009 opponent was KU playing for that game? All right. Well, 2009 means it was Reasings last year. I'm going to go with it's either like Southern Miss or Duke. I'm going to go with Duke. It was the season opener. I believe it was a season opener. Northern Colorado was the correct answer yeah. there. 
That's the record. Who knows? Maybe KU can break it this Friday. Okay, Kyle, for you, chance to take the lead heading into the fourth quarter. Kansas unveiled Baby J for the first time with its cracking out of an egg at halftime of a 1971 game against who? Uh, I'm going to say it's one of the rivals. We're just going to go with Missouri. You were on the right track. You had the wrong one. Yep. K-State, the correct answer there. That question actually came from my wife, so you can blame her for not getting it right. Okay. Nine to three is the score. And now we go to the fourth quarter. We'll go to the really hard round. And then after that, we'll get to the uh, choose your own adventure questions. But, Blake, if you hit this really hard then it's going to put a lot of pressure on Kyle because he'd have to answer his next two questions right. So, Blake, for you, for eight points in the really hard round. What's the name of the KU football player who was the 12th man for Penn State's two-point conversion in the 1969 Orange Bowl in which KU was flagged for having a 12th man on the field? Penn State got to go again, and then they converted it. And I'm... Not gonna get this one as every car on the sidewalk drives by me. Uh, I'm gonna go with Riggins, even though I don't even think he was on the Orange Bowl team. He was on the Orange Bowl team, um, but the correct answer is Rick Abernathy. They were on defense. Rick Abernathy, the correct answer there. He was the 12th man. My dad actually used to work with him. That was just kind of a, a fun tie back there for me. Okay, Kyle, you now have a chance to take the lead on the really hard question before we head into the choose-your-own-adventure ones. This really hard for you. Prior to that 12th man being on the field that Penn State allowed them to convert that two-point conversion, what KU player in that 196... Or, I'm sorry, wrong Orange Bowl. Let me redo this. What KU player fumbled at the two-yard line of Georgia Tech with 37 seconds left to secure a 20 to 14 loss in the 1948 Orange Bowl. Ten seconds. Uh I don't even know if this is a player, but it seems to seems familiar. Zook. John Zook was a player. He was a defensive end, though. Um, the correct answer is Lynn McNutt. So Lynn McNutt and Rick Abernathy going down in KU lore. I don't want to bring up old bad memories. Okay, so nine to three is the score. Kyle, this has been your lowest scoring round through four. You picked a bad time to have it, but you still have a chance to redeem yourself here. This is the the pick-your-own category round. You're in a bit of a toughie here because even if you do answer really hard, all Blake would have to do is answer an easy. So I would just say your best bet here is either answer a medium and hard and then hope he flubs on one. What are you going to answer? I'm going to give myself, I think, the best shot to be able to uh, have a chance and uh, go with the hard. Okay. Hard question. This one for you, Kyle. You got to hit this for a chance to stay alive and get the win. The last time that Kansas rushed for 300 yards in a game or more was in 2019 against what opponent? 
Okay, so I think this one is West Virginia with Cleo Herbert. It's not West Virginia with Khalil Herbert. I believe that was 2017. The correct answer is Boston College. They ran all over Boston College in that road game. I think that was a Friday night, something like that. Okay, so Blake, you have secured the victory. You are moving on to the title game. Congratulations. Would you still like to answer a question just for the fun of it? Yeah, let's do a medium one. I like the medium ones. Okay. For you, Blake, in what season... Did Kansas allow their least rushing yards per game with under 84 of them per game? It was in a season under Mark Mangino. Oh, I'm going to get this one. Okay, I'm going to guess it's 2004 because it's with Nick Reed and all those guys and they had the best defense in the Big 12. But if it's not 04, then it's 05. It is 05. It was 05. 05 was the correct answer there. Okay, so in the end, Blake, you come away with a 9-3 to victory. A bit of a defensive battle for the first semifinal here, but Blake, you're moving on. You're going to the championship match. You keep being doubted, and you keep proving the doubters wrong. You had the first loss of the season. You've won your last four. Talk to me about what's going through your head right now. No, I mean, I'm, I'm eighth, right? I'm the eighth best player in this trivia contest, um, but all of a sudden, there's only one person between me and the championship, so... Love your rankings. Uh, they motivate me. Uh, job's not done. Well, Kyle, uh, I mean, what are your thoughts? Like I said, this was your worst round yet. It happened to come at, at the worst possible moment to do so. The undefeated season is no more. Uh, what's what's going through your head right now? Man, those questions I had today um, were really tough. I knew both of Blake's, mm. um, the, what was that, medium and the hard with the the Northern Colorado goal and all of that. It, it's just tough to go to have one question be, you know, what's looked at as a last second win, a big one, and then a game with a 15 point loss with no turnovers, a little tough to swallow that. And then compared to an attendance and high attendance and from, you know, mid two thousands or whatever, and, and going back to the seventies with some stuff there. So a little bummed on the questions because I feel like I knew the other ones there, obviously the, uh, medium or the really hard ones was really tough. And, and, uh, I probably should have gotten that hard question, uh, correct. Um, but it is what it is. I'm glad I made it this far. I I feel like I was probably a top performer throughout the year, even though, you know, the points didn't necessarily show it with my last showing because I already wrapped it up. So it was kind of just one of those things to where I felt like if I maybe had more pressure on me at the end of the year, I'd be able to be a little bit better, but hats off to Blake. He, uh, he did really well and uh, will be a formidable opponent for whoever uh, meets him. And um, it should be fun to to keep doing this. This is a great trivia contest. This was a, such a cool format, and I do appreciate it. It's it's one that um, I didn't know what to expect going in, but it was a ton of fun. And you guys did a great job uh, with it, with the points, with the system, with bringing you know Scott in and having a little bit of fun with it as well. So. Hats off to you guys there. I've done the basketball and now the football. I'm going to keep keep doing it, even though I'm not in the area. I, I do enjoy it tremendously. So hats off to you. Congrats, Blake, on the uh, win today. And looking forward to uh, who who moves on and then to the uh, next year. Well, Kyle, you were certainly a juggernaut, a, a contestant in this event. And, yeah, sometimes questions just don't go your way. It's funny. I was actually testing the Louisiana Tech OU one on someone else, and they got the opposite of it right. So, Blake, let me ask you here. If if those questions would have gone the reverse way, would you have gotten the Oklahoma one correctly? And then would you have gotten the Kansas State one right for the uh, the hatching of the, the baby Jay? 
I would have 100% gotten the Baby J one because my parents had a book as a kid about uh, Baby J. And I just remember that it was at halftime against K-State. And I think they won two. It could be wrong. Um, so that's the only reason I knew that question. Uh, and I was like second guessing myself when Kyle was answering it because I assumed he was going to say K-State. And he said Mizzou. And I was like, I could be right. Um, but I feel good on that one. I think, Derek, the OU one, I think you have the year wrong on it. I think it was actually 2012 uh, because 13 and OU was good. Either that game happened on fall break and I didn't go to it as a student or because I just my memory of that KU-OU game, I watched it at my parents' house and I wasn't a KU student and I started in 13. So I could be I could be wrong there, but. No, it's 2013. Yeah, I, mean, I got it right game, here. It made sense. Yep. Yeah, 2013 is the right year, so I've got that there. I don't know why. That was just a, a game that stuck out, I think, in some of the people's memory. But other, it's it's one of those things, you know? If you know it, it's going to be easier than it's not. But, uh, yeah, I guess if, if you would have got the Northern or the uh, Kansas State one, right, that could have been interesting as well. But, anyway, guys, good work once again. And, and Blake, we'll see you in the championship later this week. Appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, everybody. Yep. All right, so our first semifinal is concluded in the 23rd Street Brewery Bowl. 23rd Street Brewery, where you can get dine-in, carry-out, and catering all available. The outdoor patio is perfect to go check out the warm weather, and you can also go out there for all your football-watching action needs over the course of the season here. Try the Bill Self Mac and Cheese, the Haney Turkey Stack, or any of the great menu items, and don't forget about the 23rd Street Brewery Beer, which you can get to go with their Crowlers. Yeah, like Kyle was saying, I think he feels a little slighted by the questions. Um... I can understand why the Louisiana Tech one sticks out more because of the fact that it was a game winner, but also that's a more obscure school name than Oklahoma. And like I said, I, I tested that one on someone else around the office here, and they got the Oklahoma one right and the Louisiana Tech one wrong. I think it's just if you know it, you know it. And if it was reversed, Blake would have got the, the hard question right. Um, and he actually missed his hard round, so he would have actually got the other one. So I don't know. I, I, I guess my point here is that um, it is unfortunate. Sometimes that's how the question goes, and sometimes that can be the difference between who's moving on and, and who's not. Um, but it's a it's a competition where a bunch of people know a lot of stuff, and, and I think the knowledge level for a lot of these players is pretty similar because it's all really hard stuff. And so sometimes it can just come down to the, the swing of luck and everything. But again, I'm going to start putting that on the RCST trivia t-shirts. If you know it, it's easier or, or something like that, you know? It's easier if you know it. Maybe that I'll start putting that as a slogan on the back of the T-shirts. But unbelievable season from Kyle. Just fell a little bit short here. Blake with the win to move on to the title game. He'll meet either Blake Farrell, who is ranked second, or Michael Plank, who's ranked fourth. We'll find out that on tomorrow's edition of RCST Trivia. This is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Johnny's Tavern, Jayhawk Trophy, and Kansas Lottery. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. Case of the Mondays, next. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Come to venue 1235 for everything from weddings to formals and live music. Visit them online at venue1235.com and see the monthly calendar of events. Coming up here, I'm going to have my uh, return of the college football playoff rankings, but it's a Monday, not the worst day of the week, according to Nick Springer. That would be tomorrow. But let's find out who's having a case of the Mondays today on your Monday. First off has to be Scott Frost. I mean, you lose close game again. It's just they are one and nine in their last 10 games. And their point differential across those 10 games, despite being one and nine, is minus two. 
That's like almost. It's one of those. That's one of those things where it's so impressive that they did that. You know, yeah. I mean? it's like that thing where it's like, how does that even happen? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you even do that? How do you even accomplish that? Yeah, it's it's seriously like it. It seems legitimately impossible, but they just keep losing close games. Uh, Kansas now, if Kansas wins on Friday, they'll have the same record over the last thirteen games as Nebraska. So that's kind of cool. Speaking of Kansas, uh-huh. Lance Leipold allegedly is the the rumor mill of who Nebraska mm-hmm. wants. Lance Leipold's name has come up. It, that would certainly be interesting. I mean, I can't imagine Big Red Nation would be thrilled about a Kansas coach coming to coach Nebraska. No, Just I from mean, from an optic perspective, the thing to me is that he's he's fifty eight years old. I feel like Nebraska is going to want a guy who they can like hire who's forty and could be there for fifteen years. You know what I mean? Yeah, but so they I, are I, kind I mean, of listen, at a desperate point. From right? our standpoint, from KU's standpoint, it wouldn't make any sense. I mean, Lance clearly seems like he's very committed to KU. I don't know. They're just starting to build. I mean, unless they were just going to pay him a, a, a bajillion Which dollars, I think they would. <laughs> I I think it makes some sense if they, if if they have interest in him, like that still is a a very highly sought after football program nationally. He's taken the interview, right? Yeah, probably. I mean, they're they're not to a good point right now. But again, be, like that would just be so devastating. Of course it would. Of course it would be terrible for like <laughs> along this whole way. You have to be smart enough to realize that if KU gets to a point where their coaches start being hired away by Ohio State's and Michigan's and stuff like that, that's a good thing because that means that you got your program to a point where those schools would want them, and you hope that you can sustain it with other coaching hires and whatnot. Right? You think of like Memphis, and uh, they've continued to sustain it, or. These other schools that have, have been feeder systems for other coaches, like it's not ideal, but it does mean something is going right. That, but to happen fine. after year two, yes, when you exactly. haven't like fully got it stabilized, that would be problematic. That's not, exactly what I'm saying. Like, yeah, like like you have Lance right now, right? You need like your next coach after Lance to be the guy that gets hired to like Michigan or Ohio State. Yeah, yeah, right? Right. because then it's like at least you got something established. Mm-hmm. If Lance is gone, it's it's it could be back to rock bottom again. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I mean, he has the ties. Obviously, he coached at Omaha in Nebraska for a little bit there. He uh, has some Big Ten ties, grad assistant with Wisconsin and stuff. So I, I think there is some sense to be made from it, and clearly they're at a point where they could use a guy like Lance Leipold, but I'm not expecting that to actually be something that happens. I feel- Also, they played one game in week zero. Yeah, it's not even, it's not yeah they even- could win the next, like, eight and then... <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but Scott Frost cannot be feeling good the way that no. that game went as well because it's not just that it was a close loss. They were up, what, 11 points? Yep. They were up 28-17, and okay. then he kicked the onside kick. Yep. And, and that, that lost them the it. game. That yeah. lost them the game. Like, very rarely can you just be like, this play right here. <laughs> this play, officer. This play <laughs> lost them the game right here. The onside yeah. kick up 11. I think that <laughs> has to make it feel like 10 times worse, too, that they're coming back from Ireland where it's like a – yeah. I don't know how long that flight is. Six, eight hours, something well, like that. What also is silly is they have they have to play a game next week. Like I would think, yeah, want to that's have wild. a bye. Like Northwestern has a bye, but Nebraska has a game. I don't remember who they're playing, but they have a game next Saturday or this coming Saturday. That's so a good guy. I, I know they Europe. play Oklahoma at home. It can't be that game because that's in no, like it's week not, three. It's not Oklahoma. But that's yeah, that's that's a recipe for disaster right there. Um, that they're gonna like get upset or something. If they lose their week two no, game, it's North Dakota. North Dakota. Okay, if they lose to North Dakota, he's fired after that game, right? <laughs> yes. Like right after. Yeah. No, I mean, but North Dakota, they're a good FCS program. That's the thing. That's they're, that's not a bad team. Mm-mm. So you're you're coming off of a, a very disappointing loss in Europe 
you got to fly all the way back halfway across the world to Lincoln, Nebraska mm-hmm. to take on the fighting North Dakota. Mm. Well, I don't even know what they are. <laughs> North Dakota. The, that's a good question. I think they're like the the, the Warhawks, the Hawks, something Hawk related. I'll believe it. Uh, case of the Mondays. They're Thinking- the fighting Hawks. Nailed oh, it. you were close. Uh, thinking turnover props are no longer cool. You know, we, we hit the the early stages of it with, like, the turnover chain for Miami, and that made it cool. And then all these yeah. teams started bringing out these new things. At first, it was like, oh, that's cool. Like, oh, look at that new one. They're it, doing it something interesting. It got lame pretty quick. It did. It got too old. Teams doing some weird stuff as well. There's still a few ones where it was like, like, I think Oregon State did, like, a chainsaw, and they get to, like, <laughs> I don't know. That was kind of cool. Um, but this one is, without a doubt, amazing. UNLV has a turnover slot machine. I saw someone on on Twitter talking about like, oh, the sanctity of these amateur athletes <laughs> and some of these kids aren't even 21 and now they're going to... It's like, oh my gosh, dude. Yeah, here's my question. Mm-hmm. Would this have been... Would the NCAA have banned this pre-NIL? Like, pre-NIL, would the NCAA have been like... That's a great question. We got to protect the amateurism here. We're not allowing gambling <laughs> of any kind. Like, would they have banned? Would the NCAA have mm. come down and banned it, or been like, "You guys, whatever, you're what?" Like, what would they have done? Would they have? Would they have reacted to this at all? I think yes, but I also think the answer is that they would like to even ban it now. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, because they still don't like really allow gambling. Yeah, no, that that's true. That is true. That's a great question, though. Like, imagine if because it, it, but we've had this discussion before. The NCAA just doesn't, in my mind, the NCAA doesn't exist no. anymore. They haven't done anything. no, no. They haven't done a thing. I, I hope they've this, let all this craziness, or I mean, I mean, craziness maybe not the right be the right term, but all of this stuff mm-hmm. happened, and they've just done nothing. So to me, the NCAA hasn't existed for the past two years. I hope that least. they like uh, UNLV when I say they uh, take this to the next level. Each game is a different casino game so like you get a turnover you get to go, like you go to play, play blackjack, a deck of blackjack. They, they give you they yeah give they give you 21, 21 you yeah. hit it right away or you get to roll and, and they're like loaded dice and you know <laughs> you, you hit on craps or something like that or like roulette but it's like yeah you hit it's the, loaded yeah. you put whatever whatever number <laughs> the the guy that got it was or something oh, that'd be cool although be it only cool. goes to 36 so i don't know maybe yeah. they can figure out yeah. a way to do that um yeah that's what i hope they go for so yeah turnover props at this point a little old a little overdone but if you, you come out with a cool prop like this, I'm all for it. Yeah. All for it. Okay, uh, Case of the Mondays for mascots. Derek, I don't think anybody had a, has had a worst weekend a worst weekend ever in the history of time than mm. collectively mascots had this last weekend. Yeah, so there was the one video that went viral with the uh, – uh, I don't the even Atlanta remember Braves? which mascot. Atlanta Braves mascot? Was it the LA, was it? Nebraska, the, Braves, the Falcons, yeah, yeah, he's just running amongst yeah, kids. He's just, he's just trucking them. And, and every so often, those videos become viral where, like, yeah, the mascot, it's this adult mascot, and he's just stiff arming and trucking <laughs> all these little kids, and everybody's like, oh, he'd be wild and stuff like that. It's like, he's having, what? His, he's having his Heisman moment. But it's like, of course he is. He's a he's an adult man facing a bunch of nine year olds. Like, why is this okay? I, I get he's dressed up in a cute mascot uniform, but why is it okay for him to just assault all these little children? That doesn't <laughs> seem okay. Um, so that's not great. Just assaulting, you know, yep. youths then, of the world. Then you had Poe, the Raven yeah. mascot for the Baltimore mm-hmm. Ravens. He tore his ACL. Yeah. They brought the cart out. They that's, brought the cart out for the mascot. At first, when I saw the video, I was I was scrolling through social media, and I saw, like, they brought the cart out for the mascot. I thought it was, like, a bit. I thought it was, no. like, a joke. I no, was like, it was, it was a non-contact uh, injury. Done. That's not good. Um, but 
the worst one of the weekend, I think, uh-huh. was actually, you may have seen it. This one, well, this one wasn't that bad, actually. The, the tearing AC that one was worse. This was just hilarious. Uh, I don't know if you saw it. BYU's mascot. He did like a running, like triple backflip jump gymnastics. Yeah, thing, he's like right? one of the most athletic mascots yeah, so out there. He did there. some yeah. crazy flip, and while he was in midair, his cougar head flew off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst thing that can happen the, to a mascot. The, that is worse than the ACL. The funniest part of the, that's not the funniest part to me. The funniest part of the video is it flies off right, and the guy like covers yeah. his head, and then like the entire BYU athletic staff runs out and like surrounds him. Like they're they don't like they can't break the sanctity of like people knowing who the guy is, right? So they all run around. They create like this wall while well, they run and grab his helmet. They're like his. I guess it's not a helmet. What mm. his head? I guess yeah, yeah, his head. Cougar. But head. yeah, it was hilarious. The guy flies through the air, helmet flies off, and then literally they run out there, like it's like like somebody had a catastrophic injury, you know, like a broken leg or something, and they you know how they run out and mm-hmm. they like wall off so nobody can see what's going on. It was that except this guy was just covering his face because they didn't want to see it. They didn't do that and, for the Ravens guy. <laughs> no, they really didn't. No, that is tough. But yeah, that was that was the funniest one to me was the BYU one. Mm. But overall, like I said, I don't know that anybody's had a worse weekend than than mascots collectively. To be in the news. Yeah, I agree. Very, very bad weekend for him. Uh, normal quarterback decisions are feeling a case of the Mondays. You know, typically at this time of year, we hear, okay, this guy's going to be the starting quarterback. And then we get the teams every year, like this would happen all Normally the time. KU. With, yeah. yeah, exactly. With KU was both of them are going to play or we're going to name a starter like at game time, like at kickoff. And even one time with David Beatty. Both quarterbacks were on the video board when they announced the starters. Like at oh, the I game, I remember that. I remember that. It was like 15 minutes before the game. So even yeah, I then, that. right? So it's either it's pretty straightforward. It's either we're going to announce the guy or it's something like that. Michigan has gone like galaxy brain on this. Here's what they posted. This is from Jim Harbaugh, but they posted it up in in like a, a cool the, little the graphic. The press release was hilarious. Yes, we have made a decision. Both quarterbacks have played great, done everything they could have, and in every way to win the starting job. Coming out of camp, I just feel like we have two quarterbacks, Cade McNamara and J.J. McCarthy, that we feel very confident that we can win a championship with either of those two behind center. It's a great thing for our team, but there's only one ball and only one quarterback can be out there at a time. So we're not ready to say who that starting quarterback is, but that decision we have made is Caden McNamara will start the opener against Colorado State, and J.J. McCarthy will start the second ball game against Hawaii. And then after week two, we will make a decision going into week three on the starter and the backup. Okay. It's I like have, starting pitchers. I, I have a serious question. Okay. Okay. Very serious question. Uh-huh. Read me the first line of that presser again. The the very first the line very or first, like the line the very right first before? sentence. Okay. Uh, the very first sentence again. We have made a decision, right? Yeah, we have okay. made a decision. So then, the rest of that mm-hmm. is explaining how they didn't make a decision. <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was it to who cleared this press uh-huh. release? Well, we have made a decision, and then we got two old paragraphs mm-hmm. explaining how they actually didn't make a decision. <laughs> I mean, whose idea oh was it gosh. to let that one let that one slide? Dude, I love it. I I'm dead serious. Like, David Beatty is probably looking at this like that is the most <laughs> genius thing. The only thing they should have done differently is not announce which quarterback was going to play wins that the defense of the other That's team true. had to they spend all this yeah, time. Yeah, they should have just said, right? like, hey, we're going to start, start game one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. We're going to start one of these guys week one, but we're not going to tell you which one. And then yeah. the other one's going to start week two. 
Yeah, and then you're not going to – we're, we're <laughs> never going to tell anybody who's starting which game, and it's going to be such an advantage for us. We're not even going to tell our own team. I know, yeah. That's how far. We're not even going to tell the quarterbacks. <laughs> we're just going to – it's the first play of the game, and we're going to tap the shoulder of which one. It's going to be like duck, duck, goose. But, yeah, we the, the classic we have made a decision mm-hmm. into then explaining exactly <laughs> – that. In, in very specific detail how you have actually not mm-hmm. made a decision. That's great. Okay, last up for Case of the Mondays, MLB teams not being able to pay livable conditions to minor leaguers. Huge news last night, MLBPA is trying to unionize with minor league players. This has to be voted on and approved and whatnot with the MLBPA, but this would be huge to the minor leaguers because part of the thing is that they can't really structure themselves with the MLBPA that has them fighting for them on their side with all this going on. There's a lot of minor leaguers that might only make five to $15,000 over their full season of play. And you might say, well, it's only a seasonal sport. What about the other months of the year? Okay, but there's only like three months where they're not playing baseball. And even in those months, they're having to pay for trainers and private workouts that the teams aren't paying for. It, it It's unbelievable. You would think that these minor league or, or these major league organizations would want their minor league teams and players accounted for because if you're going to get better nutrition and better pay and better living conditions for the minor league players, there's a better chance they're going to perform better. There's a better chance that other players are going to hear about this and want to sign with your organization, whether it's uh, an agent who has a international player and they're trying to steer where they're going to go or just free agents in general that hear that your organization treats players better. It's amazing there's not more teams that do that, but I think this is really cool because minor leaguers just don't get paid what they should. All right, I have two thoughts. Mm-hmm. Number one, I kind of just already assumed they were. Like, is that was that silly of me? Like, I just no, kind of already assumed. I that, think a like, lot of people probably thing. would assume that yeah, as like, well. Wouldn't, I just yeah, wouldn't you just assume that the minor league players have some sort of representation? But I guess not. Mm-hmm. So that's great for them. Number two, my second thought, what you were, what you were talking about with the offseason thing, it's like think about the state of professional athletics today. The state of professional athletics today, it is a 24-7, 365 lifestyle if mm-hmm. you're going to be a professional athlete, right? So if you're going to make the argument of, oh, well, these guys can just go out and flip burgers during the offseason and make <laughs> the, make ends meet, like, like no. If, they, if, if this guy is going to seriously, if a player is going to seriously have a chance to make it to the major leagues, he has to be working out, training, staying fit, staying in shape literally every single day, 365, right? So it, it it's a dedication to to the craft of the game, right? But on top of that, they have to be able to survive, mm-hmm. right? So it's just a it's just a bad argument. Maybe in like the 1930s, okay, sure, yeah. Let me go let me go be a busboy at some place <laughs> during the off season cuz I don't it doesn't matter, right? Cuz I'm just going to go hit 200 foot home runs off of guys at the what was it what's the name of that stadium they played at in New York? Oh, was, uh not Ebbets Field. Um, <laughs> the one that... Yeah, uh, Polo Grounds. Polo Grounds. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, those guys don't have to work out because they could just get home runs in their sleep. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, it's just silly. But I think it's great. I mean, like I said, I, I didn't even... I just kind of assumed they already had it. So, it's definitely bad for the teams, I guess. Or go- I guess, to me, it's good for everybody, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, except the MLB owners. They're probably not oh. happy about it. Well, he, yeah, whatever. But who cares? He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. The return of the college football playoff rankings next. Football, where chaos reigns supreme. One man, one myth, one legend will sort it all out with his college football playoff rankings. This man's name is... Bow, bow, I'm J- 
You're listening to Derek's College Football Playoff Rankings on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You need to go back to whatever the hell you was doing before you got on the radio. Let's get to the rankings now. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. We haven't done this in a while. It's been, uh, I don't think we did it much last year, but we are back this year. Week zero in the books. We have data points. We have teams in front of us. We have results. And it is time to unveil my college football playoff rankings. Once again, we're going to go down from 8 to 1. Nick, cue the music, man. Banging my head to this. Number 8, Nevada. Nevada is 1-0. No style points. They only had 78 yards passing in the opener. But they won 23-12 on the road. Ho-hum victory. Get you on the rankings. What have you done for me lately? Nevada in at number eight. Alabama, 0-0. Zero zero. Nevada, 1-0. Nevada in the rankings. In at number seven, Florida State. Florida State beat Duquesne. We had Kevin Flaherty on earlier this week. He said Duquesne could challenge them. Uh-uh. He 47-7. Did, he did say that. He did. <laughs> but they beat them by 40 points. And now Florida State has the second best scoring defense in the country. They only give seven points. Playoff contender. They're in at number seven. Number six. Illinois, the Fighting Illini, they beat Wyoming 38-6. They are one of just two teams with a win over a 2021 bowl team right now. That gets you credit. They get bonus points also uh, because Art Sitkowski went 3-for-3 with no turnovers, which is a a chore on its own, but they did it. Congratulations. I watched that game. (laughs) Wyoming might be the worst team I've ever seen in my entire life. Hey, they went to a bowl game last year. They did lose a lot from a season before. <laughs> they were really bad. Who are you going to put ahead of Illinois, though? I mean, I got five teams ahead of them, but <laughs> I don't know. They're in there. Number six. Get some respect. Not a ton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. In at number five, first team out of the top four, North Texas. North Texas, 1-0, 31-13 road win at UTEP. Did you see how packed UTEP was? I didn't, I didn't actually see Oh, that. my gosh. It was unbelievable. How I, I swear, the entire town was out there at that thing. Really? Do you like Auntie Anne's? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love Auntie Anne's. Yeah? How Anytime. about Austin On, the quarterback for North Texas? <laughs> <laughs> Man, you set me up perfectly for that one. I had no, I had no clue that was coming. Uh, Dude, three touchdowns. I, I do love Auntie Anne's, though. Yeah? Anytime I'm at the airport, I'm snagging some Auntie Anne's. <laughs> well, uh, Austin On for Heisman. I should get some Auntie Anne's and mm. then have him sign it. You should. That should be an NIL deal, honestly. <laughs> So 31-13 road win. Um, it gave them the only road win against a 2021 bowl team in week zero. That's why they're in at number five, right? Okay, yeah. yeah. Okay. You ready for the top four playoffs? I don't know if I am. Have you, uh, do you disagree with any of these rankings so far? No. No, I, I mean, okay, honestly, would I would put I would put mm-hmm. Nevada above Illinois. Because, mm. again, I watched that game. You're just I, not I could, impressed I could with play Wyoming. for Wyoming. Okay. I could suit up for them <laughs> and, and start. Hey, Josh Allen went there. Put some respect on it. <laughs> okay, number four, Northwestern. Northwestern beat Nebraska 31-28. to They are the only team in the country right now who has a Power 5 win. That means something, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, they're also the only, and, and they will be throughout the entire season, they are the only team in the country with a win in Ireland. Yep, nobody else can say that. Exactly. Like, it's hard enough to play on the road. Now go to another country. And that's something that's going to stand out on the resume going forward. Absolutely. 
I mean, if you're sitting there and you said, like you said, Northwestern has a uh, a bye in week two. Yep. I don't know who Alabama plays in week one. I can guarantee you Alabama's they not. Play, uh, they play Utah State. Okay. And they're probably hosting it or it's probably at like a neutral site that's like nearby that they're going to have all the fans anyway. Northwestern, more impressive. I'm just saying, if we're going by resume, Okay, Northwestern in the playoff at number four. Okay, number three, Nebraska if Scott Frost doesn't try the onside kick. <laughs> because they would have beat Northwestern, right? Probably by double digits. Okay. Pretty pretty easily. So Nebraska, if Scott Frost doesn't try the onside kick, has to be ahead of Northwestern. <laughs> because they would have beat them. I mean, them. I, I, I suppose. I suppose. I don't see any arguments for how it couldn't be, <laughs> to be completely honest. Maybe 1-0. Northwestern yeah. would be 0-1. Yeah. Pretty clear there. Yeah. Number two, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Just crushed Hawaii, sixty-three to ten. Clark Lee, their head coach, said earlier this offseason, "We want to be the number one team in the country." They're close. They're close right now because I haven't been at number two. Um, it is the most points scored by anyone in the country. Vanderbilt has the number one offense. What are you going to do about that? They have the largest point differential. What are you going to do about that? And they are just one of three teams with a true road win. What are you going to do about that? I feel like the road win at Hawaii kind of adds more to it, right? It's not. It's, That's it's, true. It's kind of similar to Northwestern winning in Ireland. It's Actually, not on the mainland. I kind of wonder if they had to go further because they had to go all the way across the U.S. That's like six hours, and then another six to Hawaii. That's twelve. I wouldn't be shocked if it's like, like eight Ireland's, from Chicago. I feel like Ireland's got to be farther away than Hawaii. Well, because so I went to Germany this summer. It was eight from D.C. to Germany, and Germany's further than Ireland is. So you could convince me it's like six to Ireland. From the East Coast? Obviously, Chicago's not on the East Coast, but that might be eight. I think that was actually a further to travel for Vanderbilt. So, more props. By the way, I saw a stat, and this is kind of sad. It was the, like, first time against an FBS opponent that Vanderbilt ever scored 56 or more in a game, which is like, how is that? How is it? How did it take this long for that to happen? But congratulations. They're in at number two. They've almost accomplished the dream that uh, Clark Lee set out. To right. try to accomplish. You ready to have your mind blown before yeah. we get to number one? Mm-hmm. Okay, so according to the according to the internet, according to Google, mm-hmm. Chicago to Dublin, Ireland, seven and a half hours. Mm. Nashville to Honolulu, almost 11 hours. Yeah, see? So it is further. It is actually further. Well, that's why they're number two and Northwestern was number four. <laughs> but also, most points in the country, best point differential. Okay, in for number one, though. Do you have any guesses who is the number one team? I'm guessing UNLV. It is not UNLV. It is Ah. another team with an N in their name. That would be Nebraska if they add a handicap. Because. Hold on. You got Nebraska in the rankings twice. Well, no, they're different types of Nebraska. It's like, you know, I could get a, uh, you know, you have the popsicles. I don't know why I picked this as a as a metaphor here. This is a very stupid metaphor. I, you know, like I, I have pops, no idea where you're going. Uh, with this. The otter pops. You have the the grape one. You have the cherry one. This is such a stupid metaphor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have different flavors, right? They're all a popsicle, but they're different types of popsicle. Uh, Nebraska, if Scott Frost does an onside kick, is different than if Nebraska had a handicap. Because if Nebraska had a handicap, like in golf, in golf you play with your friends, you have a handicap, right? Okay, yeah. If you're playing somebody in golf and they are just constantly better than you. They might be like, here, I'll give you a stroke a hole. Okay, you, or I'll you, give you a stroke every other other you hole. You totally lost me with mm-hmm. the Otter Pop stuff, but you, you brought me back <laughs> a little back, bit. Okay. You brought me back a little bit. They've lost 12 straight one-score games. So if we give them a handicap of eight points, so Nebraska gets eight points. points every week. That's a lot of points. It is and it isn't. I mean, it's not like, you know, it's, it's not a, 30. 
the touchdown. It's still just one score, though. But if you give them a handicap of eight points, they're undefeated. And they're 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 you know constantly undefeated. They're constantly winning all these games. Yeah. I think we should just put Nebraska in the college football playoff. They won't win it, but it'll actually make for an entertaining semifinal because we've had so many semifinal blowouts. But if you give Nebraska a handicap and you just start them with eight points, it would be funny. They still like lose by three, even with the eight points added on. So they lose by 11, but make it three. <laughs> I feel like they'd find a way to do that. But Nebraska, if you had a handicap, would be unbeatable right now. So they are the number one team in this week's college football playoff rankings. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320. <laughs>